You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. So this afternoon, we're bringing you a masterclass in the area of the fourth industrial revolution. We're talking artificial intelligence. We are talking massive amounts of data under the umbrella of super computing. So we are living in a world that is accelerating at an unprecedented pace as far as technology is concerned. Um, and we are in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. But when it comes to supercomputing, what are the advancements? What are the developments? And what does it mean for uh, humanity as a society? And um, the world that we are in means that there is loads of data, that data needs to be turned into insights, into something useful. And so enter supercomputing and quantum computing, uh, which is going to become increasingly important. So that's what today's masterclass is all about. And we're joined by Professor Chilitsi Marwala, who is the Vice Chancellor for the University of Johannesburg. He is an author and, of course, an academic, and he has contributed to various aspects of research in, um, this, uh, in this arena over many years. Uh, Prof, welcome back to the show. And uh, since we last spoke, of course, you've been busy with a lot. You've launched a book, and here we are talking about supercomputers. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Azania. Uh, I am very, very happy to be back and to be engaging your listeners. Yes, uh, I have launched a book and I'm, I'm, I'm busy finalizing another book, uh, uh, Leadership Lessons from the 50 Books I Read, which will be uh, in our shelves in June. Mm, mm. And this current one, I think, once again, is on leadership. But as you say, uh, you'll be launching another one. The one I'm referring to is leading in the 21st century. Uh, the call for a new type of uh, uh, African leader. And so let's talk about why we're here today. Supercomputing. What is supercomputing? Let's just frame it a little bit because it is an exciting idea. Yeah, no, supercomputing is actually a relative term, you know. Uh, so you have what you call a general purpose computer. That is the computer that you and I use. And then uh, there is a supercomputer, which is a computer that is able to do uh, what computers do much, much faster than the general computers. Now, if we just talk about uh, the current supercomputers, they are able to do something like 10,000 uh, trillion uh, flops. Of course, you will say what what does flop uh, yes. actually mean? <laughs> so in other words, it is able to t- do ten thousand trillion instructions in one second. That is actually very very fast. As you know, programming is about instructions. Mm-hmm. If you go and look at a program, it is about do this, go to this, uh, for this, do this, and so on and so forth. So those are called instructions. So this. Uh, these computers are able to uh, to do this um, ten thousand trillion instructions per second. You know, so uh, um, the computer that you and I use would not be able to do that. Mm. As a result, you realize that uh, when it opens, it takes time because it is running those instructions. You know, uh, 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 you know because it is a, it is a normal computer. But hopefully it's not calculating so, at that pace, that it calculates far quicker than it takes to come on, to switch on. 
no, no, no. I, 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 well, I mean, it has a standard way in which it is able to calculate. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just that um, the, 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 the prog- it is reading the, 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 the instructions. Yes. So now the advantage of a supercomputer is that you can be able to simulate very complicated things. Like in the 60s, I mean, like if I were just to give you uh, the distribution of uh, supercomputers currently, the fastest computers, four of them are in the United States, two are, are, are in China and, uh, uh, and and Italy. So China and Italy have two each, and one is in Switzerland. We don't have um, supercomputers of that scale. Uh, we don't even have a supercomputer in, in South Africa. So, uh, and, and many people were worried about uh, access to supercomputers because if you have a supercomputer, you can do nuclear simulation. Mm-hmm. And if you can be able to do nuclear simulation, it basically means that um, we can undo the n- nuclear non proliferation treaty, you know, because it means we can be able to design. Uh, you know, uh, nuclear reactors on our computers and be able to go and build them, you know. So it is uh, quite uh, political to have access to supercomputers. Mm, so looking at the range of countries that have them, uh, that's that's interesting at a geopolitical level. So what is the politics then? Because uh, is this also tied in with the race? Because this is what's also associated with supercomputing, that there is this competitiveness around who gets to develop the most, the fastest one currently, and then that gets outpaced by somebody else. Absolutely. Obviously, uh, uh, what you need is the ability to, uh, 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 to to build computers. And the ability to build computers means you should be able to make computer chips. And, uh, and the company that is dominating that market is an American company called Intel. Mm. It has been dominating that market uh, for, 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 for quite a long time, you know. So uh, as a result, so if if you have uh, access to supercomputers, you can be able to do many things like uh, break passwords, you know, complicated passwords, you know, because with enough computational power, you can be able to essentially try all combinations that are possible in a password and, and be able to break in, you know. Mm. So, uh, so that is what uh, uh, the current state of computer, supercomputers are. I have to add that what we are using now it's a silicon-based computing, you know. Uh, we know about uh, the second industrial revolution and, uh, and, 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 and the integrated circuit. So what, they, what, what, what Intel has been doing is to try to, 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 to make these uh, 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 circuits as small as possible, you know. And if they're as small as possible, it means that uh, with, uh, with, 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 with enough space, you can be able to put much, much more computational capabilities. You know? mm. So what has been going on in the last um, 60, 70 years is that we have been trying to make the chips as small as possible. And what has uh, uh, emerged out of that, and it comes from Gordon Moore, one of the founders of uh, Intel, is what is called Moore's Law which basically says that every two years, uh, computers are becoming twice as fast as they were, you know. So a computer, the fastest computer that you can find at a, uh, at a store uh, in, in 1993 
uh, it would not even be able to do any of the things that uh, the current, uh, the, the slow computer of today is able to do. Yes. I was buying a computer for my son because he does IT. And uh, it was also that kind of decision making about what will still be useful by metric, you know, by the time he gets to metric because he's in grade 10. And I can distinctly remember the sales assistant also uh, saying, rather take something with more space because that way you might get more uh, more uh, utility out of it for a little bit longer. But that really demonstrated the fast pace of change and what will be useful uh, in a, just a mere couple of years' time. So if you talk about these chips, how are they built then? Are these the supercomputers, super the ones that are in this vast rooms with rows and rows and racks and racks of, uh, um, of, of equipment? No, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, there are many ways in which you you, you build uh, supercomputers up. The, 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 one of the ways is what they call parallel computing. You know, mm. uh, parallel computing is uh, basically you connect computers uh, together. So, if if for example, I mean, um, the, some people have uh, have toyed around with this idea. If all of us in South Africa could volunteer our computational processing power to a central place. Mm. Uh, the computer is still in your home, uh, but you are volunteering um, your computational space. Then we start having supercomputing uh, capabilities. You know? So this will be sharing what you have. And, and, and people have uh, toyed with this idea that, yes, you can buy a computer and maybe you can be able to put it on uh, or, or, or on a platform where they can be able to access your processing power when you are not using it, you know. And so that is another way in which they are able to uh, uh, to do this. So, uh, so, and and now uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 chips that we use are silicon based, uh, so they are digital. They use ones and zeros. Uh, people don't quite understand uh, what. <laughs> Uh, how how you can be able to represent all the information just by writing ones and zeros because this is what actually our current compute digital computers actually do yeah. uh, they represent all information using ones and zeros uh, and by the way uh, before a, a transistor was discovered uh, in the late 40s um, uh, we were doing we were representing information with ones and zeros hmm. uh, um, but manually you know, the telegram oh, uh, yes. was uh, about uh, transmitting information by the switching on and off, ones and zeros. And somebody on the other side will look at the ones and zeros and decode it. Mm. So what the digital computer has done, uh, especially the transistor, is to automate that process. And uh, now the question that everybody is asking is that um, for how long can you be able to uh, to make uh, integrated circuits that are smaller and smaller. Mm. Mm-hmm. We have been doing this for the past uh, um, 60, 70 years. You know. Are we reaching the end of a digital computer? And that is why people now are talking about quantum computers. Yes, and because I want to... Will be. So is there a difference then between quantum computing and supercomputing? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, supercomputing is basically... Uh, 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 the 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 uh, the speed at which the computing is done, uh-huh. you know. So uh, 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 so uh, the the difference between a supercomputer and a computer that you uh, that you you went and bought for your son mm. is that uh, 
the computer that you went and bought for your son does not have many uh, transistors. You know, a supercomputer will have millions of transistors mm. uh, that are wired together. You know, that is that is really what the difference is. You know, but the technology is more or less. Uh, it's a digital technology. We're talking about digital technology. Right. Now. Well, Prof, we do need to take a now, break. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up on that point uh, straight after the break and also just an understanding of what these flops are. So uh, he mentioned uh, flops a little bit earlier on. And of course, that unbelievable speed, just hard to even fathom. 10,000 trillion instructions being processed at any given time. We're talking supercomputers this afternoon. Fascinating questions coming in as well. We'll pose that to Professor Chilitsi Marwala after the break. With so many ads about buying gold, it's challenging to know who you can... Uh, two, when the throes of a masterclass with Professor Chilitsi Marwala, uh, the Vice Chancellor for the University of Johannesburg, and a WhatsApp says, just a comment, I don't know much about the subject matter, but I can assure you that I would have passed with flying colours. The Professor makes the subject matter extremely interesting, so compliments to you there, Prof. So, Let's let's come back to this question about flops uh, uh, and just floating points, just to understand exactly the speed at which, once again, the speed at which these computers are, are working so that we can then talk about uh, how they can make humanity better, the areas in which they are useful for human beings. So now, uh, 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 because they are able to, to carry out instructions very, very, very quickly. Then they can be able to search spaces, whether it is uh, the digital space, whether it is a space for an ideal drug for a particular disease, much, 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 much faster than normal computers. I'll give you an example. Uh, When um, IBM created Deep Blue uh, to to, to actually play chess against... uh, uh, against uh, Gil Kasparov. The uh, Grandmaster. And, and that was the, yes. Exactly. And that was the last person to actually be a, a, a champion because now the champion is a, is a computer. So so that was in 1997. Uh, uh, and that was a, a supercomputer. It was not evaluating all the moves. You know, because if you had all the computation that you require for every move, you will try all the moves uh, you will play millions of games in a second and evaluate which game is going to work. No. Uh, so what they did, uh, uh, they were making, I think, about 10, 10 moves ahead. You know, uh, they, were, they were playing uh, different games, but 10 moves ahead. Hmm. And now in, in, in 2017, uh, there is a, an, a, an even complicated version of chess called Go. It's a Chinese form of chess. So Google created uh, uh, another uh, machine, mm. uh, AlphaGo, to be able to play. That one was not evaluating all the moves. It was using artificial intelligence to to basically uh, uh, determine which moves are better and which moves are not better. And the reason for that is because they did not have all the computation that they need. So uh, 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 as we move... Uh, uh, ahead and improve computational speed, it basically means we can be able to search much, much more uh, spaces. Mm. And now what, 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 what is the implication of this? I mean, now we are, we are look, we have been looking for the cure for COVID. 
So now what they do, uh, these biotech companies uh, um, basically simulate drugs in a computer. Because remember, these drugs are chemical components. And they will simulate all manner of ways in which they are basically uh, uh, you know, interacting with the coronavirus type of a structure uh, to determine which uh, which which direction they should go in the development of drugs, and you can actually be able to 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 completely uh, discover a drug on a computer, and then go and and make it and 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 it will actually work. So there are many applications. Wow! Of this. Wow! That's unbelievable. You can play it out, you know, using models mm. that are happening. Uh, through a computer and not researchers sitting in a lab uh, trying to wait it out to see what will happen with certain combinations. The computer will be able to do those calculations much quicker. It's absolutely fascinating. Uh, we're going to take... Absolutely. The- in fact, there is a new yes. discipline that has emerged. Mm. Uh, it's just that in South Africa it's not as, um, as widely done. It's called computational biology. Wow. You know, uh, uh, that is... Uh, the use of computers to understand biological phenomena. Oh my goodness, things have just become so accelerated and exciting. We've got to take the headlines. We'll delve into what else this allows, what it opens up. 702 Masterclass. And we're back with our Masterclass. Professor Chiliti Marwala, Vice Chancellor of uh, UJ, joins us this afternoon on a fascinating topic of supercomputing and all the opportunities that suddenly become possible, the things that become possible as a result of these improvements and uh, uh, the, 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 this computational ability of supercomputers. Prof, thank you for staying with us. Um, you were telling us about some of the other possibilities, and what I was curious about is the the when it comes to the continent. You know, if we are to bring it a little bit closer to home, what are the possibilities and opportunities? Well, I mean, uh, it is quite clear that uh, the continent has huge amounts of uh, problems uh, that we have to confront. One of the problems we have to confront is actually the impact of climate change. You know? mm. Can we be able to use supercomputing to be able to simulate what is going to happen uh, given all the data that we have gathered uh, to the African continent when it comes to uh, issues um, such as uh, uh, climate uh, and so on and so forth. One of the things that we are learning is that uh, Southern Africa is going to become like a desert uh, uh, as a result of uh, climate change. Is this true? Uh, can we be able to get some insights uh, uh, using computational uh, climate analysis, for example? Mm. You know, um, People don't know that um, the Sahara Desert was not a, des- a desert before. No, uh, of course, it became a desert uh, uh, many, many years ago, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there are issues around, um, uh, I mean, Africa has 1.3 billion people. I mean, the data that is being mined from the African continent by Google and Facebook and Twitter is huge. Yeah. If we can be able to uh, to get computational capabilities, data storage capabilities, mm. What economic values can we be able to unlock out of this? You're so right, Prof. I think on that front, just a quick one, we did did a focus on data sovereignty 
and how what what our governments need to start taking into consideration as you say these international multinational companies are sitting with a wealth of insight and knowledge about nations where that they where their products are available but nations that they don't necessarily contribute to you know from a tax perspective uh, and so on so data sovereignty such a such an important one uh, that can help us in improving the lot and the uh, context and the reality of so many Africans. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and we are not going to have data sovereignty uh, unless we have computational power, mm. uh, you know, computational capabilities, you know. Uh, and and, and I, the African continent is huge. It has, it has almost there's 52 countries. Of course, it's 54. Two are just dispu- disputed. Uh, 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 and, and as a result, we do not have the economies of scale uh, to be able to acquire uh, such huge computational uh, capabilities. Now, can the African Union come to the party uh, and, and, and start thinking about uh, uh, building computational capabilities in the African continent, mobilizing um, uh, resources, including skills that are needed for us to be able to do that uh, and to manage that, and to be able to uh, to derive value out of this vast amount of data that are in the African continent. Right. Uh, speaking of data, Hassan has called us from Lanesia. Hello, Hassan. Hi. I have a question for the prof. Yes. I mean, thus far we've been talking about technical and uh, harnessing the power, but clearly on the current basis, the current paradigm that we have, it means that we will be still receivers of other people's uh, uh, knowledge will be screwed in many ways because Africa, our raw materials all go out and the GDP looks good. So clearly, how do we use this big data not as a tool and a technology Mm. to further repress people but to liberate them? I mean, governments already have big data. You know, governments use it to control people, to to disorganize uh, marches and stuff like that. How can this be a tool for liberation? And when we talk Google, Facebook, we fit into the big conglomerates. What about open source? Yeah, can't we do this in a way that is that is really more empowering, I guess? Yes, yes. What about open source? Thank you, Hassan. Prof, your thoughts? No, absolutely. Hassan is actually uh, hitting the nail on his head. You know, uh, How do we make sure that uh, uh, we have uh, capabilities to be able to make um, sense of this data ourselves? How do we, uh, uh, you know, reduce the dependency uh, of foreign technologies. All this uh, boils down to education. We need to give people good education. Yes, uh, government has huge amount of data, but much of that data is not being uh, uh, analyzed in a way that uh, that it could if we had uh, the know-how and uh, the tools to be able to analyze uh, this data. Open source. I, I am a big advocate of, of, of open source. For example, of the 10 uh, 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 supercomputers that I, 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 I talked about, um, you know, uh, uh, they all run in a, in a program called Unix. And Unix is not a um, uh, proprietor uh, software like Microsoft where you have to pay to use it. Mm. It's actually an open source um, uh, software, you know. So it is, it is, it is very important uh, 
that uh, the open source uh, strategy, we used to talk uh, quite a great deal about this uh, uh, 15 years ago, and we have forgotten about it. You know? uh, but, uh, uh, you know, as a person who is in charge uh, of, 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 of the university, when you come to universities, you will be amazed uh, how much open source our students actually use. Uh, my two PhD students were just publishing a paper now. They use something called LaTeX. It's a, a word processing software. It's not Microsoft Word. Uh, it is better than Microsoft Word in many ways, you know. Uh, and it is open source, mm-hmm. which is actually quite, uh, uh, quite, 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 quite brilliant. Hmm. There are a couple of questions that have come in. Donovan in Germiston, and I hope that you know what he's referring to because I don't, as someone who's not in the space. He says, what role can supercomputers play in terms of expert systems? Well, expert systems, I'm afraid, are the things of the past. Oh, uh, Expert systems was uh, uh, the precursor of, uh, uh, of AI. Hmm. And they were ruled based they were rule based you know uh, fuzzy logic maybe is a, is an intelligent form of expert system now with ai deep learning all you need to do is to give this uh, software data and it will be able to learn from data and be able to make sense of that you know so uh, I, I, I i'm afraid that um, uh, 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 now uh, with uh, with uh, with uh, supercomputing, uh, with um, increasing in computational capabilities, uh, it's better to move on to much, much more uh, sophisticated tools such as deep learning. Right. And then another one says, do you think that we would be able to explain what consciousness is through supercomputing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, those are are the big problems of our time. Mm. Uh, we can be able to make a computer uh, to, uh, to to play chess better than a human being, but we can't be able to make a computer uh, to have empathy, for example, you know, uh, to have judgment in a way that human beings have, you know. Um, now, uh, when you talk about consciousness, I mean, that is, a, that is a big topic. Some people, I mean, this is just theory. Some people say that if you connect... Uh, uh, computers together and they are doing all sorts of things, um, uh, consciousness is going to emerge. But I think that is um, too hopeful, you know. <laughs> I think uh, those are very complicated. Uh, consciousness is, is a very complicated topic and yeah. um, I, I don't expect uh, us to be able to build uh, a conscious ma- machine, certainly in the next 20 years. Fascinating. Let's take another break. My guest is Professor Chilitsi Marwala. He is the Vice Chancellor of the University of Johannesburg. We're getting his insights on supercomputing and what it means for life, the way in which we'd be able to solve problems as society. Is there a dark side? We'll delve into all of that afterwards. 702 Masterclass. It's uh, 11 minutes to uh, 3 o'clock as we continue our masterclass on supercomputing with uh, Professor Chilitsi Marwala from uh, UJ, the University of Johannesburg. So, um, Prof, let's understand how this accelerates. It's, as we talk about the fourth industrial revolution, which we are in the midst of, we can no longer talk about it being on the way or what we're moving towards. We're already in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. So this acceleration, supercomputing, 
supercomputing, the abilities of supercomputers will force as well an acceleration uh, of uh, change to how we do things. Uh, when we think of factories, for instance, the factory floor, when we think of uh, certain activities that maybe human beings were carrying out before, what else needs to keep pace with it so that the, 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 the movement, the advancement movement forward um, it, it, it does not increase inequality or does not produce unintended consequences that may be harmful to society? No, no, absolutely. I think, I, th- I think what we need to do is to understand these technologies and to adopt them. But there is a new paradigm of supercomputing that is emerging now. This is what is called quantum computers. Quantum computers are not digital. They use three principles, quantum uh, entanglement. Einstein called this uh, spooky uh, force, you know, uh, and superposition. And once they they become common, IBM uh, actually does have a quantum computer here in Johannesburg, um, uh, then it will actually make all our firewalls in our systems redundant. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden we'll have to change all, all of them all of them because uh, uh, it will just be easy to, to break into systems using the current uh, um, cybersecurity software, you know. So this is a, a paradigm that is, uh, that is here that can uh, potentially uh, disrupt uh, uh, um, uh, businesses and, and, and destroy uh, uh, e- economies uh, if, if uh, those economies that do not adopt these technologies. Right, right. Um, there is uh, also a question about Lingau. Earlier on, the professor said we do not have uh, supercomputing on the continent. However, the CHPC, I can recall them announcing a computer called Lingau, which is its one of four cheetah a few years ago. Uh, is this not supercomputing? That's one of the questions. No, no. Uh, uh, we, we do have uh, what you call the higher performance uh, 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 computing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a supercomputer, uh, but it's, 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 but it's definitely not an ordinary uh, computer. And we use quite a great deal of, of hyper for HPC, uh, uh, from the CSIR, you know. Uh, uh, it is, uh, it is, it is fast, but certainly not, uh, uh, not at the scale of, uh, of, 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 of 10,000 trillion, um, uh, flops, uh, uh, by a stretch of, uh, of any imagination. Wow. And what about Morocco's supercomputing center? Uh, does that also not qualify to be in those leagues? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, certainly not in the top 10. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, I, I would actually be quite uh, interested to, uh, to, 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 to understand. Because sometimes uh, when you hear uh, uh, centers for supercomputing, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes it's not, does not necessarily mean that people have, uh, 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 supercomputing uh, 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 capabilities. Like, for example, here in South Africa, uh, we have a, a, a quantum computing center at the University of KwaZulu-Natal. Doesn't necessarily mean that they have a, a quantum computing uh, supercomputer. Uh. It just basically means that they are doing research in that area. You know, and research obviously is intended. Uh, to develop capabilities in that area. It does not necessarily mean that we we, we, we actually have uh, the capability. Right. So let's look at some of the case studies um, and the areas where supercomputing is already contributing. But let's kick it off with a question that's coming on voice note. Afternoon, Aza. We're speaking to Ben from uh, Kenton Park. I'd like to find out from your guest there 
how do people um, match a lot of numbers? Do do they get some help with the supercomputer or is it purely luck? Well, <laughs> it is purely luck. Uh, uh, simply, uh, uh, simply because uh, I'm, I'm I'm assuming that. Uh, uh, the balls that are used, um, if I were to use a statistical term, are not biased, uh, which basically means they mm. have a tendency of falling with one number and you can be able to predict, you know. So that is basically uh, numbers that are just randomly generated by a random number generator, uh, effectively. Of course, this one is physical, it's analog. Uh, 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 so... So yeah, so I I I wouldn't uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't uh, invest in a supercomputer just for that. To, <laughs> yeah. but, but 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 however, there are stories about people who who, who have done work uh, in that regard. Which basically, if 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 that is the case, it would mean that the balls that are being used are not perfect balls. Uh, 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 it means that uh, some sides are more. Uh, are much more uh, uh, have higher probability of coming than others, but but it is basically random. Right. So one of the discussions that you were involved in was looking at uh, the rapid how supercomputing has rapidly expanded beyond the traditional scientific and academic world, and it's gone into other sectors and very diverse sectors. Can we look at how these applications, how supercomputing is being applied in sectors like? Laundry detergent, for instance, how, what is its role in an arena like that? Well, uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I certainly wouldn't use a supercomputer uh, to develop a laundry uh, detergent, but, uh, but certainly it, it, it is the same with, uh, with what the example that I gave, mm-hmm. uh, the design of drugs. Uh, 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 you know, uh, design, drugs are basically chemical uh, chemical elements that can be visualized in a computer, uh, and and once you visualize them, you can be able to see how they connect to uh, to each other and so on, and and what 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 complex molecules you can actually be able to form mm-hmm. out of that. You can visually be able to simulate that digitally. So it you know if you can do it for 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 the vaccine, you certainly can do it for the detergent. Mm-hmm. And what about in the automotive industry? Well, in the automotive industry, uh, uh, you know, uh, some of the most uh, complex uh, uh, computations that are done in the automotive industry is the aerodynamic analysis, you know, the shape of a car. Uh, they use uh, something called computational fluid dynamics uh, software, uh, CFD software to be able to design such, uh, such structures. Now with, uh, uh, if you are using, uh, even parallel processing, uh, when I was still at Cambridge, we were using parallel processing, uh, uh, you will still have to wait for maybe not a week as we did, uh, uh 20, 25 years ago, yeah. uh, uh, but, uh, uh, a long time with supercomputers. It basically means you can be able to do it fast which basically means you can be able to evaluate many, many more, sh- more, many more shapes and be able to have more designs to select from, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're used in design. Yes, and are they entering, it uh, sounds like from the sound of things, they're entering uh, the private sector uh, in product development and other areas and not just for research purposes from an academic perspective. 
No, absolutely. I mean, I must I must confess that uh, uh, lots of, uh, of 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 work uh, in the area of computation, uh, supercomputing, computation is actually done in the private sector. Wow. You know, uh, if you just think about uh, the page rank of Google, the Google search, you know, uh, it is obviously um, a, a large supercomputer that is able to mm. allow billions of people to be able to search at the same time. Uh, uh, so, so in many ways, we have much more computational power in the private hands. Uh, than in the public and certainly uh, in many countries. In the United States, uh, I'm sure uh, the balance might actually be much more balanced. Wow. It's been fascinating, Prof. Thank you. Thank you for making this so interesting. It's piqued our curiosity. It was like diving into a rabbit hole and um, just discovering (laughs) something that we don't often interact with. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Having a sip of water there. <laughs> That's a Professor Chilitsi Marola, the Vice Chancellor of the University of Johannesburg, just giving us insights about supercomputing for today's masterclass.